0: You're going to open your Bibles to John 10. Read quite a bit here from John. The way I think I'm going to do it is read a few verses, talk about it, and then we'll read the next couple verses as we go on. So let's just read the first part of John 10. Starting verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Well, I'm going to have just three points today, and I'll just tell you what they are to start. The the three points today uh, from John chapter 10 is that God... The Father, through Jesus, calls us, cares for us, and keeps us. He calls us, he cares for us, and he keeps us. Those are the three things I want to talk about today. The first thing is that he calls us. We know that he calls us himself. We talked about that in John 5 where it says that Jesus said that everyone who hears the Father's voice comes to him. So that's it. the Father. Every person that comes to Jesus has heard from the Father. That's what he says there. But we also know that we hear from Jesus, don't we? We hear the call through Jesus, from the Father. We know the Spirit's involved as well. Jesus talks about that. Apart from the Spirit, the flesh does nothing. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that gives life. So we see that all persons of the Trinity are involved in our conversion in different in many ways we could we could talk about that probably the whole time but the father through the son by the spirit calls us calls us to himself and just kind of by way of review that let's just go really chapter by chapter and just remember how Jesus has called us what he's calling people to here through the Gospel of John. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to kind of do a quick overview of John one through nine and the things Jesus has called, called people to himself. In John chapter one, we hear John saying that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a couple of John's disciples begin to follow Jesus and they ask him, Where are you saying? And he says, Come and see. Come and see. Well, that's really, the, in many ways, the first calling there. Just come and see. And in many ways, that is repeated in our lives, isn't it? Just see. Just come and see what it's like. See what Jesus is like. Just read the Bible. Just look at Christians. Just pray to Him, And interestingly, later on in John chapter 1, that's exactly the same thing that one of the disciples says, Remember when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember what the other disciples said? Come and see. Come and see. Same thing that Jesus said to them. They're already imitating Jesus there just a few verses later. Come and see. And they saw, and they believed, and they followed Jesus. That's one question you could ask yourself. Have you come to Jesus just to see, just to see what he's like? John chapter 2, remember Jesus' call in the temple, take these things away, do not make my Father's house a house of trade. He's calling them away from living like God exists, living for worldly things, putting those above God. You know, they, they took the temple where they were supposed to be encountering God and they put all their priorities of value in money. Let's make some money here. How can we make some money using this temple? And he calls them back. This is about the Father. This isn't about you making some money. To them, money was more real than God, and he was calling them out of it. You realize you're standing in God's temple, and you're acting like the money's a big deal. And he flipped the tables, which is pretty amazing. Calling them to take the things of God seriously. Seriously. John chapter 3 he talks to Nicodemus. Remember his call there. You must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Look on Jesus as he lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Those um, whoever believes on the Son of Man will have eternal life. A call to find eternal life. A call to believe, have faith in Jesus. A call to be born again. It's pretty amazing pretty different, not a call to learn something, you know, that'd be your biggest need, if you have a biggest need, and it's to know something, it would be, well, I need to teach you something, but it's deeper than that, he says, you need to be a new person, that's what you need, and he's, you need to be born again, you need to be brand new, and so he's calling them, calling Nicodemus out of rule following, religious lifestyle to be a brand new person find life, eternal life through faith in him calling him to himself John 4 what's the call there well to the woman at the well the call remember what he says if you knew the gift of God you would have asked and he would have given you living water he's calling the thirsty to drink ask God for living water That's the call. The thirsty. Call to the thirsty. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Call to be filled for her. Call from a sinful lifestyle into a relationship with God. Stop filling her thirst at other things that don't satisfy and find her all in all in the Father, in Jesus. and she did which is amazing pretty amazing contrast there all that time so far in israel and it doesn't take long in samaria and they're all coming out to him she immediately leaves her water jar and runs believes and brings everybody out and it says they believed that's awesome but it is also sad to see how hard israel was how quick they turned and repented and they listen to the call but Israel so far 12 only have listened and then in John 5 remember Jesus goes to the pool and where people sick people are wanting to be healed and he says he says to the paralyzed man do you want to be healed take up your mat and then when he meets him again, he says, "Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you." Ask him if he wants to be healed. Really, and in many ways, it was another call to believe, wasn't it? Believe, just be, obey me. Do you believe me? In many ways, it would be pretty hard just to say, like, "I guess I'm going to try to take up my mat." kind of humiliating if it didn't work you know, rolling around man how amazing he got up and walked he took up his mat in some ways it was a call away from the religious rules of the day, right? I mean that's what the whole conflict happened was happening there, this guy takes up his mat, which is actually against the rules <laughs> but Jesus told him, and that's what he said he told me to do it <laughs> The guy healed me, so I did it. I broke the rules because I wanted to obey him. He's the one that healed me. It's pretty amazing. Sad, too, again, that the religious there didn't hear the call. John 6, what's the call there? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He talks about how the Father was the one that gave the manna from heaven and he's the true manna. It's another call similar to the, the call to, for the thirsty to be satisfied, to find eternal life. This is the time he's just using bread. He's saying, are you hungry? I'm the real bread, the real bread of life. You know, I remember they started following him and he said, you're not following me um, because you really understand. You're following me just because you want bread. Stop laboring for the bread that perishes, but start laboring for the bread that endures to eternal life. He's, He's calling them, stop looking just merely at the physical. Start looking at the spiritual. Be satisfied in God with Jesus, with the Father. John 7, another very similar call. He stands up at the feast and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Very similar to 4 and 6. And then in John 8, he's calling them to freedom. He says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The slave does not remain in the house. But if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Calling them to freedom from sin. The truth will set you free. Come to me, believe me, and I'll set you free from your sin. And then lastly, in John 9, man blind. He tells him to go wash. go wash, and then he sees. And then at the end, the whole kind of culmination of the story is he asks him, do you know the Son of Man? He says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus reveals that it's him, and he fell down and worshipped. That's kind of the whole point of that. You know, it seems like that whole story of the blindness is there's these two groups. There's the blind guy, who can now see, and then there's the Pharisees, who can't see, and So he heals the blind guy. And then there's this weird conversation that happens right at the end of John 9 where he says, the Pharisees see this. They actually believe that it really happened. There's kind of an interesting verse in there. Maybe maybe I should just tell you what it is. It's verse 18. It says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So he heals the guy and they don't believe it. They think it's a scam or something a sham, and then they realize he really did heal them in verse 18 when the parents come. Which is pretty amazing. And so then there's this blind guy, and there's the religious people, and they kind of have this back and forth. It uh, really sounds like scoffing. It sounds like they're scoffing in Jesus. They said, um, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. It's like they're scoffing. And they're saying, like, are we blind? And he says, yeah, you are. If you could admit you're blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you're saying we see when you don't. And so here's the two groups, right? The guy that can see, what does he do? He worships. And what do the blind people do? They scoff. They don't worship. They don't fall down and worship Jesus. That's all a physical parable of the spiritual reality. If You can be healed and be, see what's your response. Worship Jesus. And believe in Him. And if you can't, if you can't see, if you're blind, you don't. Jesus healed him both ways. He got, he got both. Spiritual and physical sight. You know, it's amazing there. This is the last thing I'm going to say on that. This is just extra. But that's the first time he saw Jesus right there. He didn't even realize because you remember he didn't get healed instantly. It wasn't like he got healed and then he saw Jesus. Jesus told him to go somewhere and wash. So when he met him, it was like he was meeting him for the first time because last time he met him, he could hear him, but he couldn't see him. And so he saw him. And what did he do? Fell down and worshiped. That's amazing. That's what it means to see. And so this is the call. And you know, it's not just Jesus. It's the Father. You know, and we already talked about that, but I'll give you kind of a trick question here. Get you, get you on your feet, keep you on your feet. Whose words are in red in the Bible, your Bible? Any guesses? It's a trick question. I warned you because here's what John 14:24 says. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I mean, really, in many ways, the verses in red, they are Jesus. He admits that. He calls it my word there, but it's also the Father's. He says, it's not mine. The Father, I speak whatever the Father told me to speak. And so we're hearing, in many ways, a double call, a call from Jesus to come to him, but also a call from the Father and that's what this whole thing in John 10 is talking about. He's saying that we're sheep and we, and we hear the call of the shepherd. And he calls us out. And he calls us into real life, true life, knowing God. And if we hear his voice, if we know it, we'll follow him. If we know him. And I was just thinking about this in terms of parenting. You know, I'm thinking about my own kids. And just thinking, one of the saddest things I can think of is them living a full, happy life, just right here on this level. You know, they love TV, they love school, they love work, they love, you know, their family, but they can't see anything deeper. They don't have, they're not born again, they're just the same person they've always been. They don't have living water, they're just living off the physical water. They don't have the bread of life. They're just living on physical bread. There's not rivers or water flowing out of their heart. They're just, they're, they're satisfied. They're not thirsty. And they're slaves to sin. They're not free. They don't want to be free. That would be one of the saddest things I can think of. You know, in many ways, the physical maturity that God has made into the world it kind of mirrors the spiritual maturity that happens. I mean, little, little kids, they don't really value deeper things, right? You know, as parents, you know that. It's like the things that really, really matter, they don't quite get it yet, you know? They love things a lot. A lot of, a lot of times little kids love things, and if you're a parent, I think a lot of parents have experienced this, when your baby is first starting to smile, they'll smile at the fan, remember that? Babies love looking at fans for whatever reason. It's like, big smile. And they won't smile at the, even at the dad until after they start smiling at the fan, you know. And it's like, well, he just, he just doesn't get it yet. But dad's better than the fan, you know, and they, well, he won't be there long. But it takes time and even other things. You know, kids love toys. Sometimes the grandparents will come and bring, and the kids will say, what would you bring me, you know. The grandparents are so much more fun than the toy. They don't even end up playing with the toy the whole time, but they're happy play with the grandparents for a weekend, you know. They actually they know without knowing that the the real valuable thing is the person. But on the other hand they don't get it. And in many ways that's what it would be like just to live here on this physical plane. You know, it's like the deepest, most wonderful things, you're just totally oblivious. And you're just satisfied. And we don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my kids. It's deeper, it's better to know God, to be free from your sin, to have real life from him, to feed on his body as the bread of life, to have eternal, real, lasting water that satisfies your soul. And that's the call that we've all heard. The, real, the call to real life in Jesus, to follow him the call for, of the Father through the Son. What about you? You know, I'm sure there's kids here. You're still living on this plane. It's like, what's, why do people cry when they sing the songs? Like, I don't know. Why are people crying as we sing about Jesus? It's like, why do my parents read the Bible? You know, it's boring. There's more there. Listen, hear the call. For real life is where it's really found in Jesus. Be freed from your sin. Are you a slave to sin? I mean, think about that. Are you a slave to sin? Is there things you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing? You can't stop doing. Admit it. Run to Jesus. Be free. Don't be like the Pharisees who said, "We're not slaves." They were. Turn and be freed. That's the call. There's a lot of different ways we could hear it. Repent, believe, have faith. Run to God. Believe, look on Him. Eat. But that's the call. And if we're Christians, we've heard it. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to hear the call. And then the second thing is to be cared for. So let's read those verses. We're not only called, then He cares for us. Starting verse 7 of John chapter 10. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Then there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many said... Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The second thing is that we're cared for. We're cared for. We're called and then we're cared for. You know, I think a big part, at least for me and maybe for others, as you hear, have heard the call of Jesus many times, is really believing that he cares for you. You know, that he really is offering you abundant life. That's what he said there. I came that they might have life and have it more abundant. He came really to give them pasture, he came to protect them. And kind of as a little bit of a parable type um, way to illustrate this, I had an interesting kind of eye opening. Experience, I think it was last week or two weeks ago with my daughter, and she likes to help put up the dishes and things like that, which is good, and I'm thankful for that. But she started to reach toward something down in the silver drawer. It was um, like a shredder, like with the sharp, you know, the blades that you shred carrots or cheese or whatever. And I said, Don't touch that. And she kept going, so I grabbed her arm and she threw a fit and then i said um come over here and i grabbed the shredder and i said i want you to come look at this and i pulled a carrot out of the uh out of the fridge and i said put your hand out and and she put it out and i started shredding that carrot into her hand and i said what would have happened if you started messing with that and she said I can't remember what she said, but she understood. And so I put it back in, and I, in the dishwasher, I said, let's try it again. Pretend you're going to reach your hand out there, and I'm going to say stop. And she said, I don't want to, which is pretty amazing. And it actually really affected her. Like She got, went from a fit to calm, and it had a lasting effect. Like Things haven't been perfect since then, but it's been a lot better when I say don't. She doesn't uh, more readily than she did before that, though it's not perfect. You know, she's just a kid. But it was kind of like an eye opening moment like, Dad actually cares about me. Dad actually wants to protect me. And it changed something. Something clicked that wasn't there before. And it's kind of a parable of God. I mean, think about back before you were a Christian when you really didn't, you really thought, you know, these sins, they're better. God doesn't want me to have them, but, you know, I, I, I really want them. They're so good, you know, and so I'm going to kind of sneak around or I'm going to do what I know I, quote, unquote, shouldn't be doing. And you really didn't get that God was out for your good, that he wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to lead you to pasture, to green pasture. And you still weren't convinced. So when you heard the call, you didn't turn. You didn't stop. You're like, ah, this looks better. I'm going to go over here but God actually cares. You know, the moment, I mean, maybe one day you'll have a moment. You know, I've heard different testimonies where people had a moment like that where it was like a physical thing that happened in their life and they really realized God cares about me. And uh, man, there's many of them, a lot of them that come to mind I can't really share because they're so intense. But the one that Jesus talks about here is him laying down his life for the sheep. He says, those other shepherds that don't own the sheep, when the wolf comes, they're just going to run off. They're not going to die for the sheep. But what about us? Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. That's one way we can know. Jesus really cares for us. I mean, he'll die for us. He did die for us. But I hope that God will make it real to you. I mean, really real, that God is actually out for your good when he says, come this way, or he says, stop, or don't do that, that he loves you deeply, more deeply than you have probably ever know, will never know, just like a child with their parent, you know? You, you realize how much your parents loved you more and more every year. It seems like you always think, now I get it, now that I'm a parent, but then more and more each year. That's the way it will be with Jesus. With the Father. They really love us. They really do care. He's really out for your good. He's not just trying to keep good things from you. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to be filled with the real bread, real water, eternal living water. The bread from heaven. Wash away your sins. Why don't we just stop and pray for the kids here? Father, we do just pray for our kids. Pray for the kids in the church. I'm sure that there's people and kids uh, with secret sin, and they're just, they want to keep on. Would you turn them? Would you convince them? Show them that you really care, that you're good, that you're better. Please don't let them just live for just worldly things. We want them to have abundant life. We commit it to you. Amen. Well, the last thing, the last thing is that we're kept. We're not only called and cared for, but we're kept. We're kept. And that, let's read there, starting in 22 to the end. At that time, at the Feast of, De- the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said to them, I told you, and you do not believe. The, words I do, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give them eternal life. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said I'm the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. Well, not only called, not only cared for, but were kept. Were kept by both the father and the son. No one is able to take them out of the father's hand. No one will snatch them out of Jesus' hand, 28 and 29 there, both. You're kept doubly by the Father and the Son. And kind of a best illustration that I could think of this was something that we talked about at the College Bible Study. We talked about William Cooper. You know, it's kind of a striking example of being kept. You know, when I think about being kept, for me personally, I think, I want to make it to the end. You know, I don't want to do something. And, you know, think about those guys that violated their conscience. in Timothy, you remember that? They made shipwreck of the faith. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to fall into some sin and and then not confess it then just fall away from the faith. I don't want to do that. You know, keep me, you know, holy, you know, and uh, help me. Or I think about... Just persevering, you know. I don't want to just get so worn out, I give up, you know. Just help me, God. Those are the kind of things I think about. But William Cooper's a story that's just beyond that, you know. Uh, God keeping you, and and if you don't know William Cooper's story, it's pretty pretty sad. But William Cooper and John Newton were friends, and and you know a lot of those hymns, "Amazing Grace." Um, What's What's the name of the one where he talks about uh, behind a frowning providence is a smiling face? God moves in mysterious, mysterious ways. That's Cooper, okay? So that's William Cooper. He wrote that. And I'm pretty sure, somebody correct me if, if I got that mixed up. And they wrote a lot of these hymns together. And you remember Newton's one of Newton's hymns where it talks about I asked the Lord that I might grow. So they had decided they're going to write this. I just heard... I didn't know all this until last week when we were talking about it at the College Bible Study. So, But um, they decided to write a hymnal together, Newton and Cooper. And they said, let's write this hymnal together. And then Cooper went insane and bad, really bad. And Newton ended up just taking care of him the rest of his life. Um, and so he'd have moments of clarity, but then... I don't think he ever went to church again if I remember right like for the next decade he just didn't even hardly leave his house so that's a trial right I mean unreal kind of a trial and so in the in the introduction to this hymnal that's when they decided they hadn't completed the hymnal yet so they're writing these hymns through this super difficult trial Newton's pastoring they're doing these kids times and like hundreds and hundreds of kids are coming which is awesome and they actually wrote a lot of the hymns for the kids' time. Um, and praise the Lord, they did. So he's pastoring, but he's also taking care of of Cooper, who's just another house down, I think maybe even living on his land. Uh, but that, I could be wrong on that. But just real close, and he's always going over there every day to take care of him. And so this is, in the midst of that, they write these hymns. And this is what Newton says in kind of the, I'm not sure what you call it, where he kind of commemorates the printing of the hymn, the hymnal when they finally finish it. He says that they, they decided to do this together out of a desire of promoting the faith and comfort of sincere Christians. I'm reading, I'm quoting directly here. Though the principle was not the, not the only motive to this undertaking, it was likewise intended as a monument to perpetuate the remembrance of an intimate and endeared friendship. Between the two of them. With this pleasing view, I entered upon my part, which would have been been smaller than it is, and the book would have appeared much sooner and in a very different form, if the wise, though mysterious providence of God had not seen fit to cross my wishes. So that's where he's saying, we were going to make this hymnal. I wouldn't have written so many of the hymns because Cooper was actually kind of a famously good poet. Um, and so... He said, I wouldn't have written so many of the hymns, but God crossed our crossed my desires. We had not proceeded far upon our proposed plan, this is Newton again, before my dear friend was prevented by a long and affecting indisposition from affording me any further assistance. So that was when he went insane. My grief and disappointment were great. I hung my harp upon the willows, and for some time thought myself determined to proceed no further. Yet my mind afterward was led to resume the service. So he ends up deciding, "I'm going to go through with it." You know, "I'm going to we committed to this. Let's keep doing it, even though this is not what I wanted." And it really kind of this kind of preface kind of mirrors that song, "I asked the Lord that I might grow." You remember that? He said, "I thought I would just." I'm just paraphrasing here. He says, I thought I would just, in a moment, become holy. But what happened was, it got really hard. And I asked God, what's going on? Are you going to pursue your worm to death? And then God answers him, this is how I answer prayers for grace and faith. And really sad. But if, for all that is to say this. In the midst of that, Newton, it appears, persevered on. And so did Cooper. And he encouraged Cooper, and when Cooper was clear, he would write hymns like Behind a Frowning Providence. God hides a smiling face. And so I just think about that as a testament to God's keeping power. I mean, here's this guy who literally loses his mind, but it appears is kept by God to the end. Faith in Jesus. It wasn't like this, like Cooper's life wasn't, you know, totally even keel. It was bad, you know, up very highs and lows and and pretty, pretty rocky. But it seems like God kept him all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. And what a testament. It's like, it's kind of like my personal story that's similar to that is my grandma. She got Alzheimer's and, uh, you know. She didn't know my dad, you know, she didn't know hardly anything. But one of the last things she could do was, I asked her about Christmas, you know, what do you like about Christmas? And she said, it's the day my Lord and Savior was born. And she could sing hymns longer than almost anything. She could talk about God, which is pretty amazing. But it's a very similar deal. It's worse than I could imagine, you know. I mean, if you've gone through it with a parent or a grandparent, it's so hard to see him just lose themselves and but yet God keeps them and if God can keep Cooper and he can keep keep us even if we lose ourselves I mean he, God will keep us and he's a good father he's a good shepherd and he called us he's going to care for us and he's going to keep us all the way to the end no matter how bad it gets and so I just thought that was a fitting story really just to show the keeping power of God, if He can keep keep Cooper through that, He can keep He can keep me, He can keep you, and we can trust Him. He's out for our good.